Praise the Lord. Turn your eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> Let's always keep remembering that. As we are in the midst of a series titled Steps to Living a Transformed Life, I thought it will be helpful for us if we can see the portrait of a transformed person. Incidentally, the Bible describes the portrait of a transformed person. What does this portrait look like? What comes to your mind when you think of a transformed person? What are the marks of a heart that has been radically changed by the gospel? One of the important things we need to realize is a transformed person is not simply a morally good person. What do we mean by a morally good person? A morally good person conducts himself well, follows all rules, kind to others, pays his taxes. And quite often we confuse a morally good person with a transformed person. There are morally good people in every religion. We can even say there are better people morally in other religions. Even among atheists who say that there is no God, there are good people. So it's quite possible to lead a morally good life when our hearts are filled with pride, fear, jealousy, bitterness, and arrogance. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So what is meant by this new creation? In order to answer all these questions, uh, let's listen to the scripture reading taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to chapter 4, verse 7. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. 
my conscience is clear but that does not make me innocent it is the lord who judges me therefore judge nothing before the appointed time wait until the lord comes he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart at that time each will receive their praise from god now brothers and sisters i have applied these things to myself and apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying do not go beyond what is written then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other for who makes you different from anyone else what do you have that you did not receive and if you did receive it why do you boast as though you did not this is god's word let's look to the lord in prayer glorious father there is life in the word of god minister to us today lord as we stand in your presence as we humble ourselves open our eyes that may that we may see wonderful things in your word take complete control o oh lord let your word produce 30 60 and 100 fold harvest for your glory for your honor in jesus name we pray amen the moment we take the corinthian church the picture that comes to our mind is one of division and groupism and all other problems associated with this church the apostle paul says the root cause for the division is pride and boasting one of the reasons there is no peace in the world or in the family or in our workplace or in our relationship is due to pride and boasting you know in verse 21 chapter 3 verse 21 paul says no more boasting and in verse 6 he says you will not be puffed up and in verse 7 he says why do you boast what is paul doing in this passage basically paul is highlighting the nature of a fallen person the nature of a transformed person and paul also says how to become a transformed person we can see three things in this passage the nature of a fallen person the nature of a transformed person and how to become a transformed person so the first he says the nature of a fallen person in first corinthian chapter 4 6 he says now brothers and sisters i have applied these things when paul says these things he is referring to all that he has mentioned from chapter 3 from verse 5 onwards till chapter 4 verse 5 so he is talking about you can read that entire passage and he said i have applied these things and he has applied to whom i have applied these things to myself and apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying do not go beyond what is written then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other <clears throat> it will be interesting for you to refer to your own vernacular uh, bible and uh, find out uh, you know the word that is used for puffed up because paul is using an unusual greek word physio which has been translated in english as puffed up interestingly paul uses this word only seven times in all his writings you know if paul wants to use the word pride he could have always used another greek word 
But here he's using a particular word. And this out of the seven times, six times it is only in 1 Corinthians. You don't find this word in 2 Corinthians. You know, in 1 Corinthians, in 4, 6, 18, 19, chapter 5, 2, chapter 8, 1, and chapter 13 and 4. Six times he uses this word, this unusual word in 1 Corinthians. And the one more time he uses in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Now, many Bible scholars, they feel that this is the special theme of Paul because you don't find this word everywhere. You know, basically, what's Paul doing here? Paul is trying to teach this Corinthians something about the nature of the human ego, nature of human ego. I'm, I'm sorry for this unpleasant visual, but this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul says, the ego of a fallen person is like this. The picture is like this. You know, he says puffed up. What is puffed up? Puffed up literally means sense of blowing, swelled up, inflated, arrogant, proud. Paul says the fallen man's ego is like this. Paul basically says by using this unusual word, Paul says the condition of the natural human ego resembles that of an organ that is abnormally bloated due to gas. It's like a balloon that is overinflated and ready to burst. So this is human ego. So Paul is giving us an image. In our fallen state, our ego, the shape of our ego is like this. So if this is the image, then what are its conditions? At least we can draw four conditions out of, the, out of this word. The first one is empty. The ego that is puffed up and overinflated has nothing at its center. You know, Soren Gierkegaard, a famous theologian, he said, it is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. Listen to this carefully. It is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. You know, the human ego always searches for something that will give it a sense of worth and purpose. Uh, you know, in the wisdom literature, it is very clear. The heart, you know, tries to fill itself with something like approval. You know, when, my, when I receive approval from others, I feel good. Power when I exert power, comfort and control. You know, the heart is, the human heart is always, because it is empty, it has to fill itself with something so that it can have its identity, so that it looks for approval, power, comfort and control. Human ego is empty. So the second thing we can learn is painful. An empty ego is painful. We never notice our body until there is something wrong with it. We never notice our teeth until we are confronted with toothache. How many of us notice our toes as we walk around? We never notice our toes. But let there be some problem with the toe, all our attention will be drawn to that part. Similarly, 
the inflated ego hurts. When somebody criticizes us, it is not that our feelings are hurt, but our ego is hurt. If we cannot get through a whole day without feeling snubbed or ignored or feeling stupid, it is because there is something wrong with our ego. There is something wrong with our identity. We might say my feelings are hurt, but in fact, it is our ego which is hurt. So what does this ego do? It is busy because the ego is empty. It is incredibly busy trying to fill the emptiness. Somehow it has to find something. You know, it does it by two things in particular, either by comparing or by boasting. You know, C.S. Lewis said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next person. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next person. A fallen ego is not only empty, painful, busy, but it is also fragile. We know that anything that is overinflated is in the imminent danger of being deflated. Have you seen little children crying once their balloon gets deflated? If we are puffed up by air and not filled up with something solid, then to be overinflated or deflated amounts to the same thing. A superiority complex and an inferiority complex are basically the same. The person with the superiority complex is overinflated and is in danger of being deflated. Someone with an inferiority complex will tell how they hate themselves and they will tell themselves they hate themselves. So to be deflated means previously they were inflated and it makes the ego fragile. And that is the normal state of the human self. How often are you hurt? How often you feel that I have been hurt? How dare he can say that? How can he criticize me? Who is he? You know, it is, there's something wrong with our ego. That is the fallen nature of human ego. Let me get a chance and I'll teach that person a lesson. That's the ego. It is empty. So because it is empty, it has to exert its power. I will teach that person. I'll show that person who I am. Because the ego is trying to fill itself. Because it's empty, so it's trying to fill itself with power. You seek approval. Oh, my day is lost because I didn't get to hear a good word from this person approval because it's empty. If I don't receive a word of approval from another person, my life has come to an end. So the human ego, Paul says, human ego is something like this. It is just empty. Do not be puffed up. Why does he say do not be puffed up? Because your ego is, if you are puffed up, that means basically you are empty, painful, busy, and fragile. And it is what Paul is talking about, talking about to the Corinthians. This you know, there's division in the, in the church. There are several problems in the church. And Paul is telling them, you know, all these people are fighting over 
in fact, they're fighting over Paul, Apollo, Cephas, and claiming a special relationship with him. You know, I know Paul. You know, have you not heard people say that? Hey, I know that person. You know who is that man in that place? I know that person. Oh, that great evangelist? I know. What are we trying to do? The empty ego is just trying to find its identity. You know, when it, it makes you feel good because you know these people. And Paul says, you are not and you are not able to enjoy the relationship you have with me because you want to use that relationship for your benefit. You want to show to others that how superior you are. You know, there's a normal tendency. Have you not noticed, especially in a culture in a country like ours, People try to get closer to the people who are influential, who are powerful. Have you not noticed it? Have you not noticed it in Christendom? I know that person. I can speak to him. It is basically, there's nothing wrong in having relationships. But if the ego is empty, you know, the empty ego is trying to fill itself with this kind of relationship. So Paul wants the Corinthian church to know the difference the gospel makes and how the gospel has transformed things for him. This is Paul's uh, basic purpose. When he says, do not be puffed up, Paul says, you know, the gospel makes a difference. It is only gospel will help you not to be puffed up because this gospel has transformed my life. And Paul is telling, do not be puffed up. And so this is the state. This is the nature of a fallen person. Now, the nature of a transformed person. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Paul says he has been entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. He has a responsibility. He says he's a servant of Christ and he has a work to do. But he says, with regard to my work, I care very little if you, if you judge me or if I'm judged by any other human being. That's what he says in the next two verses. I care very little. See, he says, I am a servant of God. I have been entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. I know I have to do a job, but I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. In fact, Paul says my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. What's happening in this place? You know, these verses show how the gospel has transformed Paul's sense of self-worth and his identity. His ego now functions in, in a completely different way. We saw how the ego functions, but now he says, now my ego functions differently. He says, I am not looking for human approval. You know, I, I, my worth doesn't come because others say that you are great. Human approval doesn't count any longer for me. Paul does not care what the Corinthians think about him. In fact, he does not care what anybody thinks about him. What Paul says is, my self-worth 
and my identity is not linked in any way either to your approval or to anyone's approval. Now, why is it so important? If you go to the present day counselors, most of the studies comes from the Western people. So if you go to the present day counselors, they will say, it doesn't matter what other people think about you and what they say. The only thing that should matter is what you think about yourself. So the counselor's advisors decide what you want to be and then be it. Because it only matters what you think about yourself. I'm not, I'm not sure if you have been exposed to your counselor or this is a typical line of advice you will get from a counselor. But Paul's approach is totally different. Paul says, I don't care what you think, but I don't care what I think. Now the counselor says, you should care what you think. But Paul says, I don't care what I think. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. You know, sometimes we try to justify, my conscience said that, so I did it. But conscience is not an absolute master. In fact, our conscience also develops according to the information we have. Uh, you know, Hitler might have had a clear conscience, but it does not mean he was innocent. So Paul says, if we live according to our own standards, it is a trap. I don't live by your standards. I don't live by what other people say, but I don't live even according to my own standards. It's a trap because my own standard will always be lower. And if I make my standards as the base, I'm only lowering myself. So Paul says, I don't live like this. Why? Why does Paul say like this? Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am the worst. Paul understands his real condition. That's the reason he will not let the Corinthians judge him, nor will he judge himself. He is saying he knows about his own condition. He knows that. But he does not connect them to himself or his identity. I know I am the worst sinner, but it has got nothing to do with my identity. Neither does he see an accomplishment and congratulate himself. You see, Paul keeps both his sinful condition as well as his accomplishments away from his identity. Paul has got something, a new identity he has got. He is a new creation and now he operates in, in that new identity. He sees all kinds of sins in himself. That's why he says, I am the worst. And he also see, he sees all kinds of accomplishment. You know, Paul has seen, they take his know, handkerchief, you know, and the signs and wonders and miracles that he did. Oh, Paul knows everything. But he refuses to connect them with himself or his identity. Quite often people especially in Christendom, they try to connect themselves with signs, wonders, and miracles. But Paul says, no way, no way. I'm not going to fall into that trap. Although he knows himself to be the worst sinner, that fact is not going to stop him from doing the things that he has been called to do. He says, I have, you know, I am the one who has been entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. 
you know, I know my condition, but that will not stop me from doing the things that God has entrusted me to do. Paul is saying that he has reached a place where his ego draws no more attention to itself or any other part of his body. Now, when our body is functioning well, we don't take notice of it. We don't take care of our, you know, we don't see whether my fingers are working, my hand is working, I can see, I can hear, I can walk, whether my toes are there or not, because everything is functioning well. So Paul says, now my ego is like that. My ego will not be affected by what people say. If they criticize me, my ego is not hurt. I don't want to exert power over others. I don't want to be important because I have a altogether a transformed ego now. I don't want to show myself how great I am, how big I am, what all God is doing in and through my life. I don't have to show that because his ego has been healed Anytime if things, if you are attracted or if you are hurt by what people say or by, by the criticism you will be received and that shows there is something wrong with our ego. Whereas a transformed ego will not be hurt. Or even if it's hurt, it's not even, it will not linger for a long time. So Paul says, I have a ego like that because I don't care what Corinthians says. I don't care what others say. In fact, I don't care what I myself say about me. Paul has come to that place. From where did he get this? From where did he get this? So he says, you know, he says how to become a transformed person. You know, Paul has reached a place where he is not thinking about himself anymore. He's not thinking. He's not saying I'm an important person. He has reached that place. You know, we all desire to hear that we are important, we are valuable, we are great. Oh, there's no one like you. That's a fallen human ego which likes to hear that. We want to hear from people every day in all situations that we are great. Oh, how perfect I am. Oh, I'm great. That's what the ego wants to hear. In other words, we are basically seeking approval from others for our actions. Paul says, in Jesus Christ, I have already been approved even before my performance. You know, this is something we need to understand. Our salvation is not a momentary experience. It is an ongoing experience. We need to understand the salvation well. You know, I, I keep pondering about my own life, my own journey, and the kind of gospel that has been presented to me or I have been exposed is all about, you know, you're a morally, you should be a morally good person. So we have failed to understand the power of the gospel. The gospel transforms us completely from within us. And since it's morally good person, you know, generally they say, you know, he, uh, he goes to church, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink. You know, this is not Christianity. Gospel is something different. Gospel wants to transform us completely, completely. Not just few, few just behavior. You know, as I said earlier, 
there are better people in other religions, atheists. There are, I can quote many atheists who lead a morally good life. But Jesus didn't come so that we can lead a morally good life. That good life, even without Jesus, we can lead. But Jesus came to give himself to us a new life, a new creation. So we have to internalize the salvation. The more and more we internalize the salvation, that's where we experience or we will become a transformed person. It is not something, you know, a very uh, special knowledge we need to receive. It is basically understanding our salvation. We were saved while we were at sinners. Unless we understand our original condition, Paul says, I know my condition. I know I am the worst of sinners. The more, you, more we understand our salvation, we understand the distance between us and God, and that brings within us a sense of humility. Not we have to show to others the very realization of our sinfulness and what God has done for us brings with, you know, gives in us a humility, a sense of humility. And only if we understand this, we will be able to work or deal with sin that still lingers in us. We have not yet become perfect, but we are becoming, or we are on the way to becoming perfect. And that will only happen when we understand how Jesus, you know, our salvation, when Jesus, when we were saved, when we understand our sinfulness, we are not ashamed now to deal with, to acknowledge, to know that sin still lingers within us. There is pride, there is jealousy, there is, you know, the greed, there is immorality, there is anger. And we can deal with these issues only when we understand how we have been saved. It is, we, we have been accepted without any performance. So we don't have to do something to receive God's approval. God has approved us. While I was yet a sinner, he has approved me. He has saved me. And so because my condition was worse, now I can continue to work on those things which are still lingering within myself. I can acknowledge I have this problem. I have the sin problem. You know, people are so scared. You know, people feel that if you are a saved person, that means there is no sin in you. No, there is sin in us. You know, you read Romans chapter 7, you will realize, you know, Paul says, I want to do good, but I end up doing evil. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, you know, there is still sin in me. Paul, the apostle Paul is confessing that he still has residue of sin. And it is only when we realize we also have this residue of sin, we will not be able to be lead a transformed life. So Paul says, you need to keep asking yourself these questions. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? You know, I said, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, as a saved person, it is only as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we'll come to this realization. Why, Jesus, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he rise from the dead? Was he really the son of God? If you say, I know all this answer, you know, it is only, we have only worked out mentally. Because the Bible says, I read the Bible, it's in the scripture, I know why he had to die, and why did he rise from the dead? Was he really the son of God? I know all the answers. It is still in the head. But as you continue to work more and more and more, all these answers will come. 
will seep down into your heart. And as you, as it seeps into your heart, when you go every time to pray, you really, you're grateful to God. You're not going and saying, you know, it's a matter of right. You know, you are humbled that God has opened the door for you that you can go and pray and you can say, God, I can, I can just cry out to him. I can call him as Abba Father. It, it starts coming from the heart. Every time you come for a worship service, you relive the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, that salvation experience. You know, when we were the worst of sinners, he has accepted us. And you need to hear the voice of God, which says, you are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Whatever God spoke to Jesus, because Jesus died in our place, those words are, are applicable to us. God is telling us, God is telling you, you are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When you keep hearing this voice again and again and again, now you don't want to commit sin. Not because God will reject you. Because you know what God has done for you. It is not because if I commit a sin, God will punish me. You know, one of the drawbacks in our Indian Christianity, at least uh, we can say that, uh, I, I think I can say that uh, boldly because uh, we have been most of the time, or at least I can talk about most of the families I know that we have been, we have been brought up or even today we bring up our children saying that you don't do this because if you do this, you'll have, you have to face these consequences. Okay, fine. Now, what about if I can manage those consequences, can I do that? You see, we, we have been, uh, we, they have tried to raise up morally good people. And it might have been okay for that generation. Their understanding was limited. Those days, if they don't drink itself, it was a great relief. And it's moral or it is, you know, it is gospel, doesn't matter. So long as he doesn't drink, it's okay. So that was the understanding the forefathers had. Now we don't have to live with that same understanding. We have to allow the gospel to transform us. God has accepted us while we were sinners. And I, if we don't, if you are not committing sin, it is not because God will not, uh, God will punish me or God will abandon me? No, not at all. It is because how can I ever commit the sin? Now, he died in my place. He has shed his blood for me. Now, how can I commit the sin? Unless we come to that place, we will be leading a religious life. I want that gospel should transform each and every one of us. I want gospel to transform my own inner being. I want to come to a place where I can say like Paul, I don't care what you say, what others say, what I think about myself, because I know what Jesus thinks about myself. I know what Jesus tells about me. You know, if you, yeah, let me just close it with this illustration, probably it'll help us. You know, that. Uh, disciples, Jesus sent them two by two, and they went and they did great miracles, and they all returned, and they told Jesus, oh, the, even the demons, they obey us. Jesus said, great, great, demons are obeying you. Jesus said, it doesn't matter whether demons are obeying you or not, be rejoiced, because your names are written in heaven. Don't you know, don't make your identity based on your accomplishments. 
rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Have you come to that place? That is where we can be a transformed person. If something hurts you, we need to see was a problem with my ego. Ego, the, the nature of a fallen ego is always empty, painful, and it is busy and it is fragile. So how do we apply this message? Ask God to show you your heart. Heart is deceitful. Above all else, heart is deceitful. Heart is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. So ask God to show your heart. How do we do it? You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, 23 to 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Whenever Jesus is not in the center of our ego, we are always trying to fill that ego with idols, with counterfeit gods. It could be approval, it could be power, it could be comfort, it could be control, manipulation, all this comes because Jesus is not there in the center. We need not have to be anxious because he became anxious for us in the garden of Gethsemane. Since he became anxious for me, now I don't have to become anxious. That's the reason Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because he became anxious in my place. Jesus became anxious till we you know, make a salvation till we internalize the salvation and personalize the salvation. And still we, you know, the more and more we keep our eyes on Jesus, then we will be able to lead a transformed life. So where are you looking for self-worth? Because, because of money, because of promotions, because of designations. They're all good things. But when we make these good things as the ultimate things, we need to work. We need to earn money. We need to take care of our family. It's a responsibility God has given and we need to do it. But if these are the things that gives us self-worth and identity, then our heart is not in the right place. If you are trying to find the, your identity in your work, in your money, in your job, in your designation, in your accomplishments, remember that ego will always hurt you. It is, it's very easy. If you are laid off from your job, you're done, you're gone because job has become our idol. If somebody criticizes us, it's gone. For two days, you will not step out of your room because that ego has been hurt. So you have to keep asking yourself, why do you feel like shouting? Why do you feel like exerting power over others? We need to wrestle with these questions. Are we trying to show our authority, our control over others? That's where gospel, allowing the gospel to speak into our hearts, every area of our lives. And that is a transformed life, not a leading a morally. A, a transformed person on his own will lead a morally good life. You don't have to tell him. But the gospel is talking about transformation. And we need to teach our children, sin is not, not that the consequences that they face, but how can they ever do that? Because God loves them so much.
because they love. You know, when you love a person, you always take care not to hurt that person or to be careful. So Paul says, in fact, Paul is using this, this uh, Greek word, uh, physio, in uh, puffed up in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, when he's talking about love, he's using that, uh, that, that particular Greek word he's using there. Because you cannot love if, if you cannot love if you are puffed up. So it does not envy, it does not boast. That's the word, puffed up. It does not boast. And it is not proud. So there are two different words. So when he says it does not boast, that's the word he uses. So we can love people better if, our, if we are not puffed up. We can love God better if you are not puffed up. We can work better in our workplace if you are not puffed up because criticism will not hurt us. We will take it because God has approved us. He was criticized for my sin. Now, because he was criticized and he withstood that, it doesn't hurt me any longer. That is our identity and that is known as a new creation. And that's what gives that new life. When we say we are a gospel-centered church, and when we say the three main objectives are salvation, worship, and discipleship, salvation is the core. We keep internalizing that salvation. And in salvation, we understand what Jesus has done for us. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Glorious Father, we thank you for speaking to us this morning. Lord, we pray that whatever we have heard today, give us the grace, give us the wisdom, give us the courage, oh God, to make you as our self-worth and identity, oh Lord. Help us not to seek our self-worth in our job, in our marriage, in our relationship, in our accomplishments, in our achievements, in our ministry. Oh God, let everything rest on you and you alone. Spirit of God, I pray these words may produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold harvest for your glory and for your honor. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.